so again, uh, Janice, uh, thank you. Uh, Janice Korkamp, a, a, a journalist uh, who's been doing a lot of research um, and journalism in, in the country of Syria. Uh, thank you for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. So we'll go into the introduction of what you do precisely. Uh, maybe give a little a background uh, of yourself. Great, and I'm sorry it's hard to just summarize very quickly, but I became a citizen journalist years ago because in 2012 I realized doing just even the most basic preliminary research on the so-called Arab Spring that we weren't getting told the whole story. And I became obsessed very quickly with trying to find out what was really happening in Syria and since 2012 was spent all day every day in research. And I've been researching the conflict as well as the country itself studying media reports, government reports, interviews, et cetera, from all over the world, including in Syria. And along with that, because of Facebook and Skype, I was able to connect with Syrians on the ground in Syria as they were going through this thing real time. And I just started interviewing people and becoming friends with people from all sides. I was really, um, in fact, I had believed the stories that we were hearing on our mainstream media and from our government initially, but it only took about four or five months to figure out that that was not the, the truth of what was going on. But I continued to connect with Syrians, and after four years of research, decided to go and and see for myself if what I thought was happening was really happening there. And so I became literally a citizen journalist. I'm 100% self-funded through crowdfunding, and my husband and I have paid for many of my trips. I've made six trips since May of 2016. I'm 100% independent. And, you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I just would like to tell your listeners that, no, I do not go on government Syrian government-sponsored trips. They do not organize my trips. They don't tell me who I see or anything like that. Most of the time, I'm traveling around by myself with Syrian friends as guides and translators. And I go to literally interact with as many Syrians from as many different backgrounds as I possibly can. And that's what I do. Now, speaking of Syria, uh, you know, you're right. We hear so many different stories and, if, and depending who you listen to, I mean, it's mainstream media, you hear one side, which is usually the opposite of what's really going on. But uh, with that said, when you talk to Syrian people, what is the consensus? Well, you know, what are their feelings towards Assad? Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's a spectrum. He has uh, broad support in Syria, and he always has. In 2008, actually, he was voted the most popular Arab leader in the region. Um, so, you know, that support is, a, is a, a range. So it can range from people that are totally devoted to him. And this is not just the Alawites, as people would have us believe, but Sunnis and Christians, particularly Alawites, Shiites, Druze, etc. There's another segment of the population that supports him because the so-called rebels are so horrific. And we should talk about what the rebels really are and why they should be called terrorists and not rebels. 
And then there's another segment that uh, was in political opposition to him before the war. They also support him through the war, again, because the rebels are so terrible. And then there is a much smaller segment, and I would say at the height of their popularity for these uh, rebel terrorists was perhaps 20% of the Syrian population. And that's probably gone down to 15 or 10% at this point. Uh, so, you know, and those people, the various armed groups are, have been supplemented by over 100,000 fighters from over 60 other documented countries. So it's not a civil war. It's, uh, it's something quite different. Okay, so you bring up a good point about the rebels, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, who are the rebels uh, precisely? Are they a segment of the country? Are they a different religion? Who are they exactly? Great question. Yeah, Syria as a country, of course, this is very important for people to understand. It is a secular country. All religions are protected and respected there. I could take you down the street and you could go from church to mosque to church to mosque again to a bar to a nightclub. The women can wear short shorts and tank tops, and many do, or they can wear a full burqa. It's totally up to them. And women have basically equal rights in the society. It's a wonderful culture. It's a beautiful country. So that's the basis of Syrian culture and something that's very precious to the vast majority of Syrians. The so-called rebels, the reason why most Syrians just simply refer to them all as terrorists or all, sometimes they just call them all ISIS, is because every so-called rebel group, wherever they've so-called liberated in Syria, they have um, imposed a harsh, strict, violent version of Sharia law. So they've destroyed the secular society. They've driven out, persecuted, and outright executed religious minorities. The rebels are all virtually 100% Sunni fundamentalists. <clears throat> they have also put you know, women under uh, enslavement to male guardians, et cetera, very similar to Saudi Arabia. So this is what they call freedom. Now, what's critical to understand is that 74% of Syrians are Sunni, only a, only a minority of them support the rebels. The Syrian army is majority are Sunni and Alawite with Christians and Druze and others. The Syrian government the same way. So what has happened is all of these rebel areas have become many caliphates. And this is these are the people that the United States and other Western governments are supporting. I've, so I've been hearing a lot about these white helmets, and uh, I heard a news report uh, uh, done by Eva Bartlett, and uh, she was explaining <laughs> what the white helmets are. So <laughs> maybe you want to expand on that, or you want to uh, explain what the white helmets are. Sure. The white helmets are a propaganda construct. They were created by a British mercenary by the name of James Le, Le Messier similar to an Eric Prince Blackwater kind of guy. And they are funded to the tune of over $100 million by the UK, US, and other governments. They operate only in these so-called rebel areas. They um, oftentimes are also armed militant terrorist fighters themselves. They make no 
you know, they're not at all ashamed of posting the ISIS flag or Al-Qaeda flag along with their white helmets, them and their white helmets. Um, in Syria, they are known only for two things. One is being bad actors, and two is being terrorists. And their whole function is to make these so-called rebels look like heroes and freedom fighters, and they care about the people. But I have interviewed so many people that have lived under the rule of the rebel groups, and they will tell you that the White Helmets only actually assisted or provided any medical care for fellow fighters and their families. Everybody else, their job was simply, um, they were often paid, uh, you know, like 50 cents or a dollar to help make a staged video. One woman was talking about being given a, a white sheet and she was told to put toothpaste on her mouth and act dead for one of their videos. Now, this is what they do, is they provide propaganda for Western governments and Western media to use to make these so-called rebels uh, look good. Wow, that's, it's, it's incredible the extremes that they'll go to just to try to make one guy look so horrible. Um, but I'm glad that I have you here to, to explain to people that, uh, that, you know, it's all propaganda. That's when it comes down to it. That's, that's basically what it is. Um, yeah. Now, the key to understanding it really is to understand Syria as a country before the war. This is what I've found to be, this is why it's so, such an obsession for me, is because we took a country that was everything we say that we want, growing in democratic structures, uh, freedom of religion, freedom for women and empowerment for women, a society that was growing in success. And we, the United States and its allies deliberately set about to destroy that. And that's something that has made it such a passion for me. So essentially it's a, it's a bunch of uh, extremists that are funded by the United States. But are there any other countries that are supporting to these, uh, these um, extremists? Oh, yes. You know, it's been a whole – there have been a lot of cooks in that kitchen – the main financing came from Saudi Arabia and Qatar, and they were financing ISIS and Al-Qaeda and legions of other terrorist groups there. Uh, the U.S. was supporting certain groups there and providing even advanced U.S. weaponry and intelligence support for. Turkey has been a huge player in this, and their border acted as the highway to heaven for all of these tens and tens and tens of thousands of jihadists coming in over their border, but also acting as a resupplier for many of the rebel groups, particularly in the north. Israel has been um, aiding and abetting uh, terrorist groups there, and we just saw an article that they admitted they had been giving them weapons. <clears throat> so. Uh, France and UK, of course, have been huge partners in this. Even even countries like Australia and Norway and Canada uh, have been involved up to their eyebrows, and it, it it's just like you say, it's staggering. This the so-called friends of Syria and what they've really been about in Syria. If people in the West truly understood it, they would they would be crying out against it like I am. 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned Canada is the country that I'm from, and uh, I just think that our government is uh, are such hypocrites because they aided and abetted uh, to the, the slaughter of Syrian people, but yet, um, you know, the uh, Democrat, so well, the, the, the liberal uh, party that go, got voted in, excuse me, that got voted in actually opened the door to Syrians. So, you know, in one party, you know, bombs and the, the other party opens the door to accept these people in, which I'm not against, by the way. Um, but if you talk to a lot of Syrians, they were content with their country. They loved their country, but they were forced out um, by these uh, by these crazy people. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, the, the motives behind countries like America and Saudi Arabia, and there's always a business motive behind the whole thing. Uh, now, I did hear about, and you could confirm this, but I did hear about a pipeline that they were talking about, uh, an oil pipeline that was going to go through Syria. Um, do you know anything about this pipeline that was going to Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people want to reduce all these conflicts to gas and oil, and that is a huge, huge factor. It wasn't an oil pipeline. It was a natural gas pipeline. And these were deals. The one of the world's largest, if not the largest, natural gas deposit is in the Persian Gulf, and it's shared by Iran and Qatar. Both countries had submitted bids to the Syrian government to have pipelines running from that field through Syria to get into Europe. And this field is theoretically enough to meet all of Europe's natural gas requirements for the next hundred years. So we're talking, I don't know how much money. But Syria took Iran's deal. And the next thing you know, Qatar is very interested in bringing freedom and democracy to Syria at the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Qatar and Turkey both have supported the Muslim Brotherhood factions in Syria. Which are, that by the way, uh, sorry, Janice, they, the Muslim, mm -hmm. just to, for clarification, the Muslim Brotherhood is another extremist uh, group, right? Yes, they're okay. really more of a mafia. Um, right. They will say anything and do anything to gain power and gain wealth. But they are very happy with killing other Muslims, and they are very happy in imposing Sharia law. You know, that's their ultimate objective. And it's very important for people in the West to understand that the people fighting against these extremists, most of the people fighting against the extremism are Muslims. And they're the ones dying from terrorism. And they're the ones fighting against these terrorists. So it's not a Muslim issue. It's an extremist versus civilized people issue. And that's what I really hope people can understand of this. And in Syria, the Muslim Brotherhood is an outlawed organization, as it should be around the world. And like I said, they were the ones, really, that the West was working with in particular to be the new leaders for Syria. And they're the ones that called in al-Qaeda and ISIS to come in on jihad uh, against, against Syria. Now, do you think that there's some sort of plan? And that, Now, this is the conspiracy theorist to me talking now, but do you think there's some sort of plan to destabilize? I mean, they have been destabilizing the Middle East, but do you think that they're forcing migration into Europe and into North America? Um, I, I mean, is there like a plan to do that? 
besides running the pipe for, for natural gas, but to, to, to disrupt the area? You, you think there's some sort of plan to do that? Oh, no question. And, and again, the gas and oil pipelines are part of the deal. The, the plan really is to, and this gets into a topic that is very taboo for some people, but, you know, you have to just look at facts. And from the 1990s, well, actually from the 80s to the 90s, and to after 9-11, um, U.S. foreign policy in particular became dictated by Israel's interests. And Israel's interests are, I'm sorry, it's not for peace, it's for conquest. They have um, most of their leaders and the people particularly that have been in power for the last 20 years uh, desire to take over all of Palestine, but not just that, but to take over lands from other countries and resources from other countries and to really spread their influence and dominance throughout the region. And this started, you know, it became known with the Oded Dunan plan of the 1980s where they wanted the Middle East broken up into small sectarian-based states, so religious-based states. Um, and it progressed to a document called uh, A Clean Break, which was written by all the American, by the American neocons for Benjamin Netanyahu. And that became the accepted policy for both countries. And then that became the plan and goal for the project for the new American century and all the neocons that came to power with George W. Bush. And this is the plan Condoleezza Rice referred to as the Middle East. And it's literally calling for this destabilization and to create these small, weak states in the Middle East that would never have a powerful army that could never stand against anybody's goals for them and, and not defend their own natural resources. But in addition, would guarantee perpetual warfare and conflict in the region because it's not like all the Sunnis live in one area and all the Alawites live in one area and all the Christians live in another area. Everybody lived in, you know, all over the place and it was just a recipe for disaster. But this is the policy that we've been pursuing. Now, um, I mean, you know, there's uh, attacks on Yemen by Saudi Arabia and so forth and so forth. And it seems like every country has been at, uh, has been at war in the Middle East. Uh, and I'm just talking in, in recent years. When when do you think uh, the war with Iran is going to happen, or or do you think it's going to happen? I think it's very possible. Uh, we have been punishing Iran for many decades, and we've been pursuing, you know, openly calling for regime change and these sanctions that we have on now that we are continuing to increase are making life a living hell you know, for the people of Iran. Our sanctions do not attack the leaders, as people have us believe, but they attack the population and particularly the poor in these populations trying to get people so miserable they'll rise up against their government and do the regime change for us and create the chaos for us. Um, but Iran, you know, is 
what what you have is a basic lack of understanding in Washington and in Canada, for example, in Europe, that those countries, particularly Syria and Iran, but also to great extent Iraq and Lebanon, those are the deep civilizations of that region. Those people are deeply rooted to their land. That's where you know language was first developed. This is where the three main religions came from. They are areas that are devoted to scholarship and learning, totally opposite of what people might think of in the Middle East. And they are brilliant strategists, and they know their land, and they know the people of the region, for example, in a way that people in Washington and London and all of these other places have no understanding of. And so what we have is a huge chess game right now going on. Yeah, and they really don't care either. I mean, they're just there for natural resources and to dominate, basically, to keep these people in line, which is really barbaric. Um, now, I, Exactly. And if I could just interject, sure. you know, when people like me go to places like Syria and Iran, uh, it is mind-blowing the depth of civilization and the, um, uh, the hospitality culture, but just the philosophers and artists and writers and musicians that you meet are just mind-blowing. And we could have the most amazing relationships with these countries if we would just stop being the elephant that goes to steal and destroy. You know? And then they it's wonder, frustrating. And then they wonder why terrorists are created, right? Exactly. <clears throat> yeah, we create the terrorists uh, uh, most of the time. Um, now I want to talk about another gentleman uh, who's now passed, who I thought was a benevolent dictator, to say the least. Uh, and that was uh, Muammar Gaddafi, which, uh, you know, I've, I've done a few videos on him. I, I, mean, I mean, what he did for the country um, and what he did for his people was, was highly civilized. Uh, you know, it was a, a step in the right direction. Um, yeah. Now, do you have any experience with uh, with the area of Libya, in particular, when uh, Gaddafi was alive and it was in power? Well, you know, as over the course of this research, I've been researching the other conflicts as well, and that's one that had just happened before I started becoming interested in all this. So I've gone back and looked at that quite a bit. And you're absolutely right. I agree 100%. Um, Nobody is pretending that, for example, example Libya under Gaddafi was perfect or Syria under Assad was perfect. But what you and I have seen is the vision. There was a vision that was a multi-generational vision for really bringing about positive change. But the problem was, they, you know, Gaddafi was even working with the United States. This was a total betrayal of that leader in a, I mean, anyone involved in that should be on trial for war crimes. It was all based on lies. And look at Syria, uh, Libya now. It's a dysfunctional, you know, people who live there now describe it as a living hell. And this is what our intervention has done. And don't forget Gaddafi, uh, I, I, I now, I don't remember where he said it. It might have been in one of those UN meetings. He said that he he knew that the United States was going to take him out, and he warned 
that if that did happen, that the slave trade would would be alive and well uh, again in Libya. Yeah. And it is. And it is. It's become yeah. a hellhole for slavery once again. When the so-called murderous dictator kept the slave trade or, or eliminated the slave trade entirely, because that's what he thought about human beings. And for the continent of Africa, I mean, he was even working on a, uh, you know, uh, a African currency, and he really wanted to bring that entire, not just Libya, the entire continent out of uh, poverty because of all the natural resources. And he knew, you know, the United States and all these other uh, so-called first world nations uh, were trying to exploit the people and the natural resources, and he wanted to stop that. So I, I thought I'd just mention that. Um, well, I'm so glad you did because it's a horror story, and. If you talk about Yemen, I mean, this is something that is beyond. Yeah, that what is most just crazy. That is. I, I, you know what, uh, Janice? Can you please explain what is happening in Yemen? Uh, yeah, it's hard to you know summarize these things, but Saudi Arabia, of course, is in the process of slaughtering and starving most of Yemen, over half of the population, in their attempt to take control of the country, which they have wanted to do for a long time. Saudi Arabia, you know, their leaders are the true, depraved, absolute, total dictators. And, you know, it makes me laugh when people think that we're going after dictators in the world while we literally bow down to this, these depraved, um, absolute dictators in Saudi Arabia. But in any event, they want... Yemen like they want diamond-encrusted Rolls Royces. It's a beautiful country. They've always been wanting it. And in the Arab Spring, when their guy came into power, uh, you know, very quickly he was kind of sent packing by the people, most of the people of Yemen, and he ran back to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. And since then, they've been pounding the country with the help of the U.S. and U.K. and U.A.E., uh, trying to pound it and terrorize it into submission. And, you know, there are other, again, there are gas and oil questions involved because you have the very important uh, strait there, uh, Manbib, I think the name of it. Uh, and, you know, this is, this is a real choke point for energy exporting leaving the region. And so... The U.S. and U.K. and Saudi want total control of that, and they don't want to have um, anybody else to have control of it. So that's another huge factor. But it, it's it's really a horrific human catastrophe. Yeah. So more, you know, more innocent lives uh, being uh, being spared for the for the sake of profit. Um, yeah. yeah I think uh, 225,000 now they're saying. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, now, Janice, are you planning on, on making another trip to Syria in the near future or even to the Middle East? I hope to go again in the fall. I cannot wait to go back. Uh, I've also organized several truth-seeking tour groups of independent researchers, journalists, et cetera, to go with me for some of my time. I spend several weeks there each time traveling all around the country, but for a week of that, I usually bring in a, a small group to see it. And you know what's interesting is so many of us actually cry when we leave. The people there are so amazing, and the best company 
of all my travels, you know, I'm not a world traveler, but I've been to most of Europe and the Caribbean and all around the U.S. They are the finest people I've ever had the privilege of spending time with, and so I cannot wait to go back. Now, it's funny that you mention that because the, the late Anthony Bourdain, um, yeah. who is now passed, he uh, he actually made a trip down to Iran to do his show. And I can't remember which one it was, to be exact. But uh, anyways, he, he mentioned that the Iranian people were one of the most uh, um, hospitable. They, they welcomed him. didn't matter where he went in Iran. They welcomed him with open arms and didn't even know who he was. They didn't know that this guy was a celebrity. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> the propaganda machine. Uh, they're always telling us that uh, countries like Syria and Basad is a dictator and Iran is a terrorist state and so on and so on. And I just encourage people to listen to people like Janice um, who are giving you another side, another spectrum, which you have to listen uh, listen to. So, I mean, Janice, I'm, I'm really happy that that you did this. Uh, a lot of the information that you provided is, is definitely going to be uh, something people are going to uh, hunger for, for sure. So um, I'm happy that you're doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I always uh, encourage and I support independent, independent journalists like yourself. So um, with that said, do you have any last things that you want to say or perhaps some things you want to promote? Sure. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate the fact that you're aware and awake and knowledgeable of these things. And, you know, this is all we're looking for is people that are willing to listen and think for themselves and research for themselves. Um, I, uh, If people want to know more, I have a website. It's called syriaresources.com. This is an archive, a library, if you will, of hundreds and hundreds of resources to look at uh, that I believe prove my point and also my writings are on there as well and I'm on Facebook every single day talking about these issues so that's Janice Courtcamp K-O-R-T-K-A-M-P on Facebook and I would love to have people friend me or whatever and just check it out. Now let's not forget people that Janice is an independent journalist and you know she does need some support financially and uh, Janice I know you do have a patreon account do you not I do and thank you for mentioning that I don't accept money you know just like to support my living I have a job and and that's why my husband and I you know we do that but I do accept money to help me pay for my research trips and so I have a patreon account and uh, also, very soon, I'll be starting a GoFundMe to raise money, raise the funds for the next research trip to the Middle East. No, no, you know what? There's no shame in it, believe me, because what you do, you should be getting paid to do what you do. Because, again, you're, you're oh. offering us uh, real information um, that will, is not going to be seen on CNN or even CBC here in Canada. It's not going to be seen there. So again, Janice, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really enjoyed this time that we that we uh, that we had. And uh, you know, if you'd like to do this again in the near future, please uh, we can we can do this again. Great, you've been super, and I'm available. You know, I'll do I'll talk as much as I can to anybody I can about Syria. So anytime. Okay, Janice, thank you so much. That was Janice Corkamp, everybody. Thank you, Janice. Have a good evening. You Thanks. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.